women's team, we have we need one more person to actually throw the, the rock. The, the, Almost have it, the has a team. The captain of the, uh, the United States curling team is uh, Pete Fenson, and he's from Bemidji, Minnesota, home to the famed Bemidji State hockey team. <laughs> they're they're, uh, they're well, always I mean, a force in the NCAA tournament bracket. Pretty much everyone that uh, that participates in curling is from in, in the USA is from Minnesota yeah. because it, I mean it's just little Canada let's face it and Canadians love their curling he, they he broadcast also, uh, it when it's not even during the Olympics and he, stuff. he also runs a pizza pizzeria in uh, Bemidji Minnesota That's and nice. has been uh, sampling Italian pizza you know the, the bir- he's in Italy for the Olympics it's the birthplace of pizza I think he likes his own recipe a little it's, bit more though I would say Torino is a birthplace of a lot of things they did a but segment and it was really interesting but uh, I don't think Torino is the, definitely the birthplace of pizza, but Italy in itself. Italy. Was. Yeah, that is. Uh, one, more, one more thing I want to mention about the Olympics is uh, the women's hockey, which, yeah, I've been watching the women's it. hockey. <laughs> uh, the, the U.S. team, after the disappointing loss to Sweden over the weekend, eliminating them from the gold medal game, they won the bronze today. They beat Finland 4 to nothing. So, uh, yeah, but it's still a disappointment. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Not, but, not as high as you would have expected. Definitely. They were they were going in there assuming unless they played Canada. Yeah, I mean that it was the first time in an international tournament that the gold medal game did not feature uh, U.S. and Canada. But then Canada uh, beat Sweden four to one. They won the gold. No big surprise there. They were the favorites anyway, even if they had played the U.S. Speaking of Sweden, how about that men's Swedish team? Did you root for for them against the USA, Stephanie? I have to say I did. All right. <laughs> if there was some way to turn off your mic without turning off everyone else. Oh, I could just end the show. That would work great. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for the Extra Point Show today. It's been a comedy of errors, as always. So for <laughs> Stephanie Nicholas, Dave Bickle, Ravi Dev, who I don't think Ravi spoke today, but he was there, moral support. I'm Steve Lake saying good night, Michigan. This has been a production of WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor. And now the pavement is loaded for Samantha Finley. And Michigan with a chance to bust this open. It's round ball. Beats it down the left field line. Resident scores. Here comes Giampaolo. Giampaolo scores. Merchant goes in a third. It's a two-run double for Samantha Finley. And Michigan now has a 6-2 lead. And Michigan, one out away. Heading back to Oklahoma City. Danny Ritter looking for that final pitch here in 2005 at Alumni Field and what has so far been the greatest season in Michigan softball history. Now the 0-2 pitch, ringing a ground ball to the right side. Haas has it, throws the first in time and the ball game is over. And for the eighth time in the last 11 years, the University of Michigan is going back to Oklahoma City to make their eighth appearance in the Women's College World Series. Ozzy and the Straw. Well, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Marvin Bartlett, sort of on this mic here. There we go. Marvin's uh, pinch hitting tonight for... Uh, Jim Dwyer. Jim Dwyer, yeah, he's uh, he'll be back next week, but he's got a little bit of a class conflict this semester, so as in uh, an academic class. Yes, <laughs> academic. <laughs> We're not talking academic <laughs> class. The British, uh, yeah, finishing up that <laughs> master's degree. Right. Um, 
Anyway, I'd just uh, like to thank all the uh, listeners who pledged uh, throughout the fundraiser over the past 10 days. And we you were numerous, and and uh, that's something without which we wouldn't operate down here, obviously. But you know that, and thanks again. Uh, roger that, and keep tuning in to WCBN because, boy, there just aren't radio stations like this. You could say that. Too many places <laughs> in America. Yeah, you, you tend to get the other side an awful lot. In fact, one of the uh, articles I wanted to <laughs> read last week was about the uh, growth of the uh, religious rights uh, penetration of radio around the uh, country. It's, it's remarkable. This is from a Columbia Journalism Review article uh, dated last May. But I guess we'll start out with uh, the usual assortment of brain damage awards. Today is President's Day. I always give LBJ a brain damage award on this particular day. He's the one that created President's Day. And Marvin and I are old enough to uh, remember when we celebrated Abraham Lincoln and Washington's birthdays separately. Right. And, of course, Cherry Pie, Washington's birthday. Sure. I cannot tell a lie. And with Abe Lincoln, maybe our most revered president, it was always Honest Abe. So it's uh, unfortunate that Lyndon Johnson decided to honor all presidents equally because, alas, they are not all equal. <laughs> I was actually thinking that very thing today down to, coming down to the station, that it's odd that we lump them all together. And I don't think I have reactionary views very often, but this is maybe one instance where I believe President's Day should be abolished by executive order and we should return to celebrating Abraham Lincoln's birthday and George Washington's birthday separately uh, for the very reasons that both, uh, as I recall from my childhood, always emphasized honesty. Because, of course, the myth about George Washington was I cannot tell a lie and the ch cherry pie was about the infamous cherry tree that he confessed to his father about chopping down. Whether it ever happened or not, who knows, but uh, <laughs> I think it's important to emphasize those uh, lessons, those ethical lessons that uh, hopefully we all will cherish for the rest of our lives. Well, the implication is clearly that if you manage to be elected president, somehow you deserve to be honored in the collective President's Day, and I have a big problem with that. Indeed. Well, of course, last week was Vice President's Week, and uh, I don't know. You know, as, as far as scandals go, I don't rank this uh, terribly high up there, but obviously uh, the handling of the matter, uh, well, let's just give Dick Cheney a brain damage award for all of the events involved. I think maybe the most interesting development from it all, rather than cracking more jokes about Dick Cheney's uh, ability to shoot all only crack one. It's a bird! It's a plane! No, it's Harry Whittington. Uh, the, the, the only interesting development for me out of this whole thing was the interview that he gave on Fox News with Brett Hume, in which he revealed that uh, he unilaterally is allowed to uh, declassify documents. And uh, this may foreshadow a defense that Scooter Libby may be using in his uh, perjury trial, mm. although he's not charged with uh, leaking documents. So we'll see how that develops over time. But it's interesting that only Maureen Dowd really revealed to the public the specifics of this executive order that Bush signed, and it's Executive Order 13292. 
He signed it on March 25th, 2003. And the date is very interesting because obviously the uh, Iraq war had just started. And here it is. Uh, here's Bush handing off uh, sort of unilateral power to the vice president. Very interesting development, I think, in uh, the aftermath of the Dick Cheney shooting fiasco. And uh, obviously there are some elements of cover-up that are very clear. Uh, and rather than parse all of the uh, details, um, Dick Cheney has been taken to the woodshed, so to speak, and hopefully he's learned his lesson. But let's rest assured that Dick Cheney's statement here about why he waited till Sunday claiming that he didn't want any inaccuracies to emerge is total nonsense. This is basically to keep the story out of the Sunday papers. Obviously, it would have been headlines all around the country, on every newspaper, and there are many Americans that only subscribe to the Sunday paper. Well, and you've got the time to sit down with your cup of coffee and really give the paper a look on Sunday, whereas you rarely, may rarely have that opportunity during the week. And, of course, Dr. Pepper emerges as another uh, <laughs> beverage in question. Uh, apparently, uh, Ann Armstrong assured the uh, public in her initial uh, leaking of the story, uh, she apparently was dispatched to reveal uh, that the vice president had shot a man. Um, and I think historically that goes back, uh, what, Aaron Burr was the last vice right. president? And, of course, his uh, shooting involved a duel with Alexander Hamilton in which uh, the latter uh, perished. Um, but Dr. Pepper uh, amusingly emerges as another funny uh, aspect of the story because she assured the public that only people at the ranch drank Dr. Pepper. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Bush, I mean, excuse me, Cheney, and it's easy to confuse the two, <laughs> um, revealed that he had been drinking. And, you know, while I believe that he only had a beer, it's... Uh, I think significant that given all the medications that he takes, uh, what a beer may do to a man of that age and that health condition. So, I don't As they say, yeah, consult your doctor before drinking anything yes. with this medication. And it's, it's usually a really bad idea if you're on medication to do that kind of thing. But obviously, he went where his doctor had probably advised him not to go. So anyway, we'll uh, just give Dick Cheney a, we could give him a dozen brain damages for how he handled this whole event. And, uh, of course, it was somewhat convenient uh, in an odd way for the Bush administration, given all the weird scandals that were also burning in Washington last week. You know, we have the Guantanamo Bay business. We have the incompetence in, regarding Katrina. Uh, more questions about uh, eavesdropping. Etc. Etc. But this uh, executive order uh, is pretty frightening. That uh, Dick Cheney, in effect, is sort of a co-president, and uh, that is scary. Yeah, you have to feel that uh, we're caught between Knucklehead Smith and Jerry Mahoney, or maybe two Knucklehead Smiths. Probably it's a variant that we didn't see before. But uh, taking turns, <laughs> uh, each in turn pulling the other strings. Uh, but I have a feeling probably more. Cheney doing string pulling than our dear president. Uh, it's interesting that the degree to which there was any 
rift at all caused by this incident was minor. Mm-hmm. I mean, the House, the White House, did release a statement saying we wouldn't have, we would have preferred if it had been handled differently. I think that's as strongly worded as that statement got, and of course the press jumped on that, saying that this shows a rare split between George Bush, uh, George you know, W. Bush, and his vice president. So you ha- it shows the extent to which these two are peas in a pod, as far as I'm concerned, to say that that's any kind of reprimand. I mean, it was about as mild as possible. Yeah, and I think the idea that Bush will somehow drop Cheney uh, in midstream is, uh, or have him shot, <laughs> <laughs> dispatch him to Guantanamo de- uh, Bay for a little torture, Yeah, uh, is... Uh, pretty much remote uh, no. obviously the rift that they talk about is supposedly over uh <laughs> the fact that the iraq war is just simply not going as planned and dick cheney appears to be the so-called brains behind this operation yeah. so it's a uh, pretty scary stuff but i think it uh, has underscored all along what we've believed that the president is uh definitely a co-president when it comes to this administration and i think that uh the problems with the Iraq War um, are all Bush's, uh, and, and uh, he may well historically try and blame Cheney, but he's the president, so to speak. He's the one that made these decisions, and he deserves the blame and the responsibility, but uh, he'll never stand up and admit anything. He'll uh, continue to believe in all this puerile nonsense that we're in Iraq to promote democracy. Oh, yeah. I, I thought that's what it yeah, it was another horrible day, uh, in case you haven't seen the headlines for today in Iraq. It was a very yeah. bloody, bloody day in Iraq. And, uh, and, of course, there were revelations last week that uh, there are death squads operating in Iraq uh, involving sectarian violence. Um, another investigation is underway. Uh, but this is uh, par for the course and was predicted by critics of the war. In another related uh, Cheney item, I wanted uh, to bring attention to this uh, rather remarkable thing that I saw in the business section a couple weeks ago uh, regarding the beneficiaries of the war in Iraq. We know who the victims are, um, but there are some beneficiaries, and Osama bin Laden is actually one of them. It seems to have enhanced his ability to recruit uh, sort of start-up al-Qaeda operations that uh, he doesn't even need to uh, tell them what to do anymore. Uh, They're doing it all on their own. But uh, in Bush's recent State of this Union uh, message, he said, uh, urged the nation to back the war in Iraq to, quote, stand behind the American military in this vital mission. Well, Hubert B. Herring notes interesting facts about the military contractors that have benefited from the war. And, of course, topping out that list is the Halliburton Corporation, Mm -hmm. uh, intimately connected to Dick Cheney. Really? Remember, he has a severance package in which he uh, receives uh, payments uh, for his services rendered in the 1990s. And it turns out that Halliburton leads the list of defense contractors in terms of percentage change since 2004 in profits, 292%. Whoa. And in this article, and I'll just read it in the paragraphs involved because it's remarkable um, profiteering here. 
Hubert Herring writes, uh, the indisputable winners are clear now, military contractors. Suppose an investor were endowed with the golden instinct for spotting bargains and bought 100 shares of each of the top six military contracts contractors at their lowest uh, point in the last six years, reached by four of them in March of 2000 before the election, before September elec- uh, 11th, and before any hint of war, that basket of shares would have cost $12,750. On Friday, it would have been worth three and a half times that, 44417 And then, of course, it details these total profits. Boeing uh, last year made $2.6 billion. Lockheed Martin, $1.8 billion. General Dynamics, $1.5 billion. Northrop Grumman, $1.4 billion. Raytheon, $0.9 billion, or $900 million. And these percentages are just remarkable. And I'll read them down here quickly. 37.4%. Lockheed Martin, 44.2%. General Dynamics, 19%. Northrop Grumman, 29.2%. Raytheon, 108.9%. And topping off the list, the Halliburton Corporation, 292.9%. That's increased since 2004. So uh, as we drop those bombs over in Iraq, and I think I've read that we've dropped more than 50,000 ordnance with the Air Force alone, These are the beneficiaries of the war in Iraq, along, of course, with Iran and Osama bin Laden. Interesting bedfellows that George Bush and Dick Cheney find themselves in. And, of course, the sad thing is that there were forecasts of all the negative, all the downsides we're seeing in Iraq. They were were known. Uh, I mean, at least the, the high probability of many of those, uh, many of the adverse fallout was known before we ever moved into Iraq, and yet our president just seems to want to hear one voice. And that that's what frightens me more than anything about George W. Bush, that he just tunes out other voices. He just doesn't want to hear opposing viewpoints. Well, oppos- oppo- n- never opposing viewpoints and only viewpoints that comport with his worldview. Um, you know, an interesting revelation last week that he apparently is a big fan of Michael Crichton, whose novel about global warming is, uh, you know, that it's an environmental conspiracy and that environmentalists are terrorists. Don't be surprised uh, if your local Greenpeace organization uh, is having their calls monitored by the NSA. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish go I could figure. laugh along with you on that one. Yeah, go figure. But, of course, last week we get another disturbing um, report from NASA. Uh, They're actually engaged in science. (laughs) Uh, They're not headed by doctor science, unfortunately, but... That's the next step. George Bush, uh, it's already been revealed, has uh, some minions in the NASA department that are trying to muzzle uh, proponents of the global warming theory. But this just notes, by the way, that in Greenland, the glaciers in terms of ice flow uh, to the uh, ocean, has doubled in the last 10 years. Troubling stuff. Um, and it's interesting here. It says that Greenland, which is covered by ancient ice, 
nearly two miles thick, thick in some places, uh, holds enough water to raise global sea levels 20 feet or more wow. should it all flow into the ocean. Um, so levees in New Orleans may not save the city, uh, only uh, saving those glaciers in Greenland might. But, of course, it all won't melt. But uh, a disturbing quantity is melting as we speak. And uh, George Bush is, uh, uh, well, his uh, consultant on global warming now it turns out to be Michael Crichton. <laughs> well, it was that or classic comics. I think it was a toss-up. You have to wonder where he uh, goes after his those to whom he looks for advice, other than the fact that they uh, apparently all share. I, and this is what I find amusing, too. We're, we're having problems uh, backing the Iraqi government because they are falling victims of sectarian to, to sectarianism. And uh, we're saying, dictating to the Iraqi government, put aside your differences. You know, you need to unite. And I'm thinking, you know, religious fundamentalism <laughs> on on a variety of fronts is bringing about chaos in that nation. And we see an awful lot of religious fundamentalism right here. I, I screened uh, Inherit the Wind for my son not long ago. Oh, and, uh-huh. and uh, you know, that's it's frightening just how relevant it is now and we're asking the Iraqis to do that which we apparently aren't willing to do ourselves and that is tolerate different voices different opinions admittedly uh, it's a little out of control in Iraq but um, and I, I think I heard a rumor that they may be remaking that is that have you heard I, that rumor? I hadn't heard that yeah I, a, I could have swore I heard that like in the last couple of weeks and I would, can't remember the details but uh, well, the time is right because you know it couldn't yeah. be couldn't be more relevant. But but for us to be pontificating about uh, you know religious matters because in Iraq politics and religion, needless to say, are about as married as they are in this country at this time. So well, they are. I think the irony is uh, one of the things that I wanted to read last week during the fundraiser, and of course we kept it sort of down to briefs. But uh, this uh, article in the uh, May June. 2005 edition of the Columbia Journalism Review is just fascinating in some of the details about the explosion of how the religious right is actually grabbing uh, control of the media here. Uh, Mariah Blake wrote this article, and it's got some just fascinating details. Uh, First of all, CBN, which is not to be confused (laughs) with WCBN. We're talking here about the Christian Broadcasting Network. And it's adorned with a photo of the... uh, News anchor saying a prayer just before going on the air uh, with his hands uh, crossed there. Uh, It's fascinating to learn that it now employs globally more than a 1,000 people and has facilities in three U.S. cities as well as the Ukraine, the Philippines, India, and Israel. Um, They now own over 2,000 radio stations uh, nationwide. Um, And their involvement in certain... Uh, regulatory uh, issues before the Federal Communications Commission is fascinating. For instance, in this article, Mariah Blake reports that uh, back in 2002, uh, Rupert Murdoch, who was attempting um, to, at the time, merge uh, the News Corporation with uh, DirecTV, uh, and maybe you've heard some calls from them <laughs> imploring you to drop cable and hire them. Um, 
what 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 he did was he actually met with the National Religious Broadcasters, an organization uh, founded in 1944, mainly of evangelical uh, preachers who uh, apparently do quite a lot of lobbying before the FCC. Well, this is what's interesting. In 2000, Clinton was still president, for instance. The FCC, and I'm quoting from the article here, issued guidelines that would have barred religious broadcasters from taking over frequencies designated for educational programming. The National Religious uh, Broadcasters lobbied Congress to intervene, at one point delivering a petition signed by nearly half a million people. Legislatures, in turn, bore down on the FCC and the agency relented. At least one mainstream mogul um, has successfully utilized the NRB leaders and urged them to oppose a Echo Star Direct TV merger, which they did, and then shortly thereafter, Rupert Murdoch bought Direct TV himself um, and then gave the National Religious Broadcasters a channel on it. Fascinating information. Then we find out that since 1998, um, the number of religious radio stations around the country has grown by 85%. Um, Which you can confirm with a spin of your dial. I was amazed to run across one on FM the other day. Loud and clear, strong signal in this area. And, of course, they're moving uh, apparently in collaboration um, with a, an organization or a company called Salem Communications. And <laughs> I don't know if that is a sort of a funny joke about the Salem witch trials, but uh, they uh, started with about around 200 stations, and they, they now have 1,100 stations around the country um, and broadcast seven times as many programs as NPR. And this story just goes on about the scary commingling of uh, propaganda by the Christian Broadcast Network and some other um, disturbing things. For instance, George Bush in 2003 attended the NRB convention uh, promoting the looming war in Iraq, as Mariah Blake notes. At the event, the NRB passed a resolution to, quote, honor the president, though the NRB is a tax-exempt organization and thus banned from backing a particular candidate. The document endorsed, resembled an endorsement. The final line read, we recognize, and I'm quoting, in all of the above that God has appointed President Bush to leadership at this critical period in our nation's history, and we give him thanks. God? Well, the Supreme Court. Yeah. <laughs> Not to be confused with God. That's um, getting more difficult every day, too. And it's, uh, yeah, let's uh, give uh, Sam Alito a brain damage award. He's apparently hired a top John Ashcroft aide as his uh, Ouch. first clerk, uh, which I think foreshadows uh, where he uh, will be voting in upcoming uh, Supreme Court cases. Expect him to be a clone of uh, good old Scalia. So the joke about him being Scalito is uh, right on the money. Painfully not humorous. Well, uh, 
Another bizarre development last week involves the United Arab Emirates. I don't know if you've heard this story, Martin Marvin, but uh, this is incredible. Um, UAE is actually implicated in the 9-11 plots. Uh, they're actually one of the main financiers of the 9-11 plots. And the UAE, of course, is the United Arab Emirates, and they apparently have, through corporate uh, accumulation, and by the way, the, the, this is a country, by the way, that um, is, quote, on the surface, exceedingly friendly to the United States, but they were one of the three countries uh, that recognized the Taliban back in the 90s. Saudi Arabia and Pakistan were the other two. And I think I heard the other day that now 45 people have died in these uh, protests globally uh, in response to the cartoon cartoons that appeared uh, last September in Denmark. And it's interesting where the deaths have been. Nigeria, Libya, uh, Pakistan, and Afghanistan. Meanwhile, of course, the Bush administration is trying to single out Syria and Iran as being behind this. Total nonsense, as usual. In fact, the uh, foreign minister of Iran today actually called for a, an end to the uh, protests. But uh, I heard late today that uh, the... Uh, big uh, oil company Shell in Nigeria has shut down production and gas prices have gone, uh, oil prices went up today in international markets. And it's just bizarre that uh, this whole, uh, this event will probably be prevented, but apparently, and it's a kind of a complicated thing, but they've bought, the United Arab Emirates has uh, acquired in New York a um, company that uh, was formerly owned by the British, and they, of course, are our reliable ally. Um, and the fact that they would have control, and they note that there are six American ports in which the United Arab Emirates would be operating significant security operations. Um, does Osama bin Laden orchestrate all of this? This is just unbelievable. Um, and, of course, the Bush administration... Uh, has brushed off the concerns, keeping us safe uh, from terrorism, supposedly. Well, you have to wonder who, uh, how many people have just decided to quit doing their jobs at the 